Hello and welcome to another episode of the TNC podcast. It was a brilliant episode last time. We had Darren Edie on Norwich City Legend. And to be honest with you, I'm pretty shocked that I've actually managed to get this guy on for you guys today. Former under 18 and under 21 England international goalkeeper, shot stopper for Bournemouth, Gillingham, Wolves, Coventry, Villa and Millwall, current goalkeeper coach at Charlton Athletic, 195 Norwich City appearances, 2001 Norwich City player of the season and 53 appearances for Ipswich town ladies and gents welcome to the talk Norris city podcast andy marshall andy first of all thanks so much for coming on you didn't have to do this and i'm so excited to get into it how are you thanks chris no um, i'm very good thank you and um it seems uh, an appropriate time to to maybe have a chat with some of the norwich fans and um through this very very strange circumstances and uh times that we're going through um maybe try and lighten the mood a little bit if, if, if I don't get too many boos. Believe me, Andy, there'll be plenty of banter on this podcast. I'm not, I'm not going to keep you safe from that, sir. Let's take you back right to the beginning of your of your time at, at Norwich, if that's okay, because you were actually a trainee with us, weren't you? You were born in Bury, and then you kind of fled Bury to come to, to, to sunny Norfolk. What was that like, and, and how did that move come about? How did you end up in Norwich? Yeah, it's, it was actually Bury Manchester that I was that yes. I was um, born and I was brought up in Cambridgeshire. Um, I was spotted at the age of ten playing ah. playing from. Oh, there you go, Chris. There's my dog. He's he's already started. Just as we start the interview, my dog kicks in. Um, no, at the age of ten, I was I was spotted by Norwich and and I went on trial and um, I went on a three week trial actually with Norwich over to Finland because um, I don't think they needed. I think they needed a goalkeeper to go in a tournament over there. Um, and I ended up going for three weeks and impressed enough to to be offered to come back. And it went from there. And between 10 and 14, I was taken on. Um, and then from 14 to 16, um, my you know, I was, I was given another two-year contract at, at Norwich City. And at the age of 60, 16, I was offered a full-time, full-time apprenticeship, um, which meant me moving over from my home where I lived with my parents yeah. um, and moving over to Norwich and spending the next two years applying my trade and learning how to become a professional footballer. What year was that, Andy? Was that the late 80s? I'm not that bloody old. I was tired already. <laughs> well, it would have been in the 80s when... When um, when I was first spotted for Norwich, but no, okay. not, when, not when I joined. Do you want me to stay on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, Andy, let's let's go now. Let let's let's move the time forwards quite a bit. Actually, let's go to ninety four, the twenty seventh of December. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. made your debut. You're actually. Yeah. Um, a, a sub goalie that day. You came on for the for the legendary Brian Gunn. What were what was your emotion running onto the pitch at Road at that time? Well, it was it was actually it was um, it was at the city ground in Nottingham. Um, of course, Nottingham Forest live on Sky, yeah. and I'd, I'd spent most of the season or the first half of the season as a substitute. Um, unfortunately, Gunny, Gunny had a horrendous injury. Um, I remember it clearly after seven minutes. And I thought, this is it. This is my time. And um, it, it was very daunting. I remember very clearly a fan, a Nottingham Forest fan, as I'm warming up and getting ready to go on, standing behind me, shouting at me, big stands coming to get you. Don't worry, Marsh. And, um, I was, you know, 19 years old, I was 
bricking it, quite frankly. Yeah. And you've got big Stan Collymore, um, six foot three, huge athlete, a proper monster of a man. And I'm thinking, crap, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen? So, um, yeah, I went on and the game went exceptionally well. We lost 1-0. And I think it forced John Dean's hand into, into playing me in the next game, um, which was the Newcastle game at home, where, uh, again, it went very well. We won 2-1. I conceded a penalty. Um, but I was fortunate enough to get man of the match that game. So I think it's sort of... There was probably a lot of things I did very, very wrong, to be honest, Chris. And um, it was one of them. I was riding the crest of the wave. Everything went my way. Um, the balls were dropping how they needed to and they were coming off the post and landing in my arms. And it was it was a bizarre set of circumstances. But now I've come to what we class in football terms as the dark side as a coach. You realise I was never ready for this. I was never, ever ready for it. I was a million miles off if you compare where I should be to what I try and try and train our goalkeepers and what many goalkeepers are trained up and down the country. Um, Mentally or technically? Both. Wow. Definitely mentally know when they're good enough and technically know when they're good enough. Um, and, and you can say that. And the, and game, and the football's moved on. The game of football's moved on um, drastically for, for the better. Yeah. Um, but we had no goalkeeper coaches um, back in them days. And, and Brian Gunn was our goalkeeper coach. And all of a sudden, he's now injured. Yes. Um, so he would be the first team goalkeeper, the goalkeeper coach. And and I've lost both all in, all in one go. And... and and the exact reason, Andy, why why I why I thought it was at Cow Road is that I actually spoke to Norwich City legend Brian Gunn before this podcast, and he told me a story about that game at Cow Road. And I'm going to play you Gunny's voice message to me that he sent today. That uh, I was in the north of Norwich with uh, my ankle. And uh, I think it was the game against Newcastle. Andy Marshall couldn't do anything wrong. He was shot in off the post and back into his hands. He's pulling off world-class saves. <laughs> Everything went right. And they beat Newcastle 2-1. Anyway, it was the first day of Radio Canary. And Robert Tracy taking me up by a fruit bowl and a hat with earphones in it. And I think uh, I listened to the game on Radio Norfolk that day. And then after it, Andy was... Uh, Andy was interviewed by Roy Waller, the great Roy Waller. And he said, uh, we got a message from Brian Gunn, who's obviously up in the Norfolk and He said, yeah, Gunny, I hope you're happy. I've won you a bonus today. And uh, I'm nearly jumping out of my bed to get down the car road to uh, give him a little clip around the ear. But uh, no, thanks a lot for that, Marsh. You owe me a bonus, even though I was in my hospital bed. Uh, great lad. Um, great goalkeeper. I had a great career. And... Um, Someone that still obviously speak to in the game. Um, he's doing well with his uh, coaching at uh, Charlton at the moment. So hopefully he'll go on to uh, bigger and better things with uh, with the manager or, or another manager in the future. So send him my best wishes, Chris. Thank you. Bye. There you go. Brian Gunn sends a message and shares a story. Andy, what do you remember of that game? He never shared the win bonus with me. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, no, it was... Um, yeah, listen, that's very kind of Gunny to, to to say what he's just said there. And and we have a very good relationship, me and Brian, and we've always stayed in contact um, when, when we've both gone our separate ways from, from Norwich. Um, and, you know, the man taught me a lot. And, and what Brian taught me was um, not, not only how to be a good goalkeeper, but how to be dignified in, in how you did it. And 
you know, the way he conducted himself, the way he's conducted himself for his whole professional career, not only in football, but just generally as a professional person. Um, he, he, is, he is a role model and a very good friend of mine. Um, so it's very kind of you to play that because it was, it, was, it was great to hear. But um, yeah, the, 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 the game itself, um, I, it was a big blur, a big blur, to be honest. And it really was. Um, you know, there's, there's only a couple of instances that I remember within the game. Um, but it was one of them unique situations. You make your home debut, full capacity mm -hmm. at Carroll Road. Um, we're playing Newcastle and Newcastle were flying high and Rule Fox came back. Um, I think it was one of the times, first times Foxy had come back as well. Um, and yeah, I, I, had, I had a decent game and I rode my luck, let's put it that way. But many things went right as well. You know, you know what, Andy, I was actually going to say to you, I had a question prepared, which was, were you somewhat jealous of Gunny being number two? But actually, it just sounds like you're completely in awe of the man. Like, what was it like? What, what was it like training with him? And what was he like in the changing room and, and at half time? What, what was he really like when he played for Norwich? OK, so Brian, mm -hmm. a larger than life character, which I think no one will dispute even to this day, still yeah. larger than life. Um, you could just got to look at the uh, Inter Milan game a couple of years ago where we played the charity game. Um, his presence and the way he conducted himself is a larger-than-life character. But you, you're exactly right in, in, in what you said, how I felt about him. This was a man that I used to go and stand in the terraces back in the day at, at Norwich and, and you know, from travelling over and go and watch him play. Um, somebody that I used to watch, I was in complete awe of him, um, the way he was on the pitch just a monstrosity of a man and back in them days because of his height not because of his physical <laughs> build um where <laughs> we love you new life has taken over that um but no the way he conducts himself and seeing him play in the european games against inter Milan and bayern munich um this was a man that you know, you've got to understand as a 10 11 12 up to up to 19 before i got in the first team this was somebody who I'd only ever dreamed about being in, in, in a presence with. So, yeah, it's, it's almost meeting your ideal idol. Um, wow. and the way he, he was with myself was, was second to none, um, as, I, as I've stated previously. And, and so then in, in 96, 97 now, Gunny was actually dropped and you seized the opportunity. And I think it's fair to say that that season, you did become a fan favourite at that time. Do you remember, what do you remember of that season? And what do you remember in, in the early seasons, in, in like the first time when you started to like break into the Norwich team? What was that like around that era? Um, I, it was filled with um, an element of <sighs> taking over from a legendary status. It, yeah. was, it was big boots to fill. And you're thinking, can I deal with this? Can I cope with it? I also felt guilty, and it sounds bizarre, but you, you know, I felt guilty that I was taking Brian's position. And that's something in football you can't ever be. You can't ever feel guilty in any way. Because at the end of it, this is a ruthless industry. And it's a very short industry and a very short um, uh, career that you have in it. And at the end of it, no one cares about you when, when you're gone. So you've got to take the moment and seize the moment as best as you can do. Um, but Brian, again, in the way that he was, he, he was second to none. And he was. And I'm not trying to patronise or sound sound like I'm trying to oversell this, but he was. He was fantastic towards me. Um, you know, maybe was realising his time was coming to an end um, at Norwich. Maybe, I don't know. But um, the way he was, was with me was, was phenomenal. And I think that's why we've always had that mutual respect ever since we moved on. 
It's it's so good to hear that. It's honestly so good to hear that. And it's great to, to hear that you still keep in touch despite your very obvious differences, which we'll get onto in the moment, as well as you quoting that football is a ruthless sport. I'm sure lots of people will be waiting for this big question. However, I'm not going to give it to you yet. In 2001, you actually won the player of the season, the Barry Butler Memorial Trophy. That That's a massive honour. And at that point, you must have just been absolutely on top of the world and just so... So happy, is that fair to say? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and Norwich was my first club and it's always held a special place in my heart. And I think the previous year, I think I'd come runner-up or something to the Barry Butler man, uh, player of the season. I think it was something like that. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm seeing these great players, Brian being one of them previously, um, win, these, win this um, accolade. And it was something that I wanted to try and achieve. Um, not really believing you're going to do it, but it's something you know you, you set out, try to do by just performing at your best every week. And when I won it, it, it was it was a great honour, and you know to be voted by the fans, it was it was fantastic. Now, Marshy, let, let's talk about that that 2000 to 2001 season and that side. You've obviously said you know Malky was you know one of the one of the the best defenders, Matt Jackson as well. Um, but what about Drury? What about Gary Holt? You and Roberts? I mean, what was it like being in amongst that team? Because Norwich City fans now, we look back on that team and they're more or less all legends. Um, what was it like being in, in the changing room with like massive characters like Three, three Lungs, Gary Holt and, and, and Drury then up in the ascendancy of his career? What was that like? Yeah, I think Adam, did Adam join us from Peterborough? Was that right? Yes, yes he did. Yeah. Um, and he was just, as you say, he was just in the ascendancy. His career was just about starting, taking off. And Ewan Roberts was probably coming into the pinnacle of his career. And and um, and Holty, I mean, as you said, the guy just would never stop running. Um, but you, you know, you say like legends in the in the game. It wasn't to us. It was just our job. It was our careers. And you know, we never saw either person or anyone as any anything above anyone else. And, you know, I guess it's only when you finish playing football, you look back and you go, Jesus, I, we had a good time there. We, we had a good team. We played with some good players. And, and what we managed to achieve was, was you know, was good. Um, but I think we were always comparing ourselves. There goes my dog. I think we are always comparing ourselves to, to the legendary side where Brian Gunn and the European run. So you're always striving to achieve and, and become better. Um, but you're right. We we did. We had we had a, an exceptional side at the time, mm. and um, you know, yeah, it, it was an enjoyable and a pleasurable place to be working at. Anyway, you you had a great side, as, as you as you said, Andy. But also, you had some great managers. You you played under Mike, Mike Walker. You know, obviously a, a legendary Norwich City manager, Bruce Rioch as well. Which sort of which manager at Norwich did you most enjoy playing under? Because sometimes players. Put bluntly, they just don't like playing under certain managers because they're not played or they don't suit their style. What was the manager at North City that you had a lot of respect for? I think I've always got to mention John Dean, and the reason why because John put his faith in me, is putting me as the number two behind Brian, um, and then giving me the opportunity. And uh, again, um, John is somebody that I've seen quite quite a few times since since we've gone our separate ways from Norwich, and always conducted himself really well. And you know was was a gentleman with the way that he was. Um, but Bruce Rioch, um, I loved working with. I loved working with Bruce. Um, you know, he was a bit of a taskmaster at times. Um, but I think it was from the very first day that I met Bruce, 
we 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 got a call from the uh, from the club secretary to for a few of the players to come down and be the, the uh, press launch of of the new manager being released uh, or you know presented it's not released yeah. being presented um so myself and adrian forbes went down because i think everyone else was on holiday <laughs> and and i was there and I think it had a bit of an impression on Bruce that that we went down. I mean, to be, I'll be honest with you, it was nothing really to do with us. I think we were the only two players around, so we just went along. You know, because we were asked to by yeah. the club. But I think it impressed him. Anyway, that relationship just seemed to evolve really quickly. And the first time I met him, I just went straight up to him, introduced who I was, and just said to him, "I need a goalkeeper coach. You've got to help me get a goalkeeper coach." That was literally the first thing I said to him, and. I didn't know how he'd take it. I didn't know if he thought I'd be a bit blasé or what. But I later found out, he, he said to me, uh, he said that was one of the most impressive things I've heard. He said, you you knew what you wanted. You knew what you wanted to achieve. You came up, you told me what you wanted, and we got you one. And and it helped develop me, which in turn obviously helped the football club. So honest of you, Andy. And, and I'm going to try and scrape some, some honesty out of you now. Do you look back on your time at Norwich with, with genuine pride? Genuine pride and love, honestly, and I mean that. I, I, I loved working and playing for that football club. I love working, living in the city. Um, you know, it, my parents, my parents asked me this. Um, we have the conversations every now and again. Um, usually after a couple of drinks, and we, my mum gets emotional and she says, "Oh no, it's, it's my favourite club because it's your first club, and we always come down there." And and it was, it was, it was a special place, and you can't help. But, but feel that way about a club that has helped you. I mean, it gave me what I've had in my life. So it, it's given me the opportunity and it gave me the, the springboard to go on and achieve the things that I've done um, and become the person that I've become. That, that's a hell of an answer. And I really, really appreciate that, that, that honesty. And, and this is why, and, I'm, and I know a lot of Norwich fans now will be screaming at the YouTube channel. They'll be screaming in the parks, the gyms, the bikes, wh wherever they're listening or watching to this. And you're saying, well, what the hell, Chris? How can Andy sit there and say that when this happened? So it's now 20 minutes into the podcast. Let's not keep you any longer. Let's flesh this out bit by bit with brutal honesty and transparency. And I'm sure you'll do that for me, Marchie. So is it true that at the end of that 2001 season, the season that you won the Barry Butler Memorial, by the way, you refused to sign a deal with Norwich City? True or false? Anyway, thanks, Chris. It's been a great interview. <laughs> um, okay. No, the situation was... Um, the, the, Okay, you can argue I refused to sign a contract. Um, I was offered uh, free contracts by, by Norwich City. Um, the free contracts were financially exactly the same, just dressed up a different way. Right. So there was no financial difference in any of the free contracts that the football club offered me. I've still got the, I've still got the letters from the club. Um, I kept hold of them, just, just wanted to keep hold of them. Yeah. Um, but it was it was big it was bigger than that and it really was chris i'd been at the club for 17 years in total and just got player of the season and it was the opportunity i wanted to go and play in the premier league um and i wanted to go and test myself and at the time i i'd shown complete loyalty to the football club for many many years through dark times through tough times and the club has supported me as well um but I'm also realistic. It, it was time I needed to make a move. And it was maybe time for the club to have somebody different in Robert Green come through. Yeah. Who, who did do an exceptional job. Amazing job, yeah. 
Um, so for myself, it was it, it was that right time. Was it the right club in going where I went to? Well, that's that's another question. But it was definitely the right time for me to move on. Sure. No, and 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 that makes sense that you would want to play at the highest level possible. And um, and I'm not going to take the words out, out of your mouth. I'll ask you the next question now. Here it comes. Why did you why did you really leave Norwich for Ipswich? Was there no other offers, Andy? I think this is this is where as as a, as transitioning from a player to now being a coach, I'm able to advise the people that I work with, maybe a little bit wider, a little bit wiser than what I was advised. Because as I was being made to understand from the agent that was representing me. That was pretty much the only offer from the Premier League that was forward. So sometimes in football, and particularly when people are representing you, they will excuse me, dog there. They will they will only give you the truth that they feel that ne that needs to be distributed to yourself. So was it the only offer that I was aware of? Excuse me, I'm just going to get my dog. Look here, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Was it the only offer that I was aware of? Yes, it was. Um, and then I had to look at it as a football club. And I had to look at who was there at the football club. And I had to look at what the club was doing and where it had come from. And you've got to say, to be fair, the club was in a good place at Ipswich. And it was, a great, it was in a great place. It was, it was in the Premier League. It just finished really high. Was it going to repeat that? No. Likelihood, no, it wasn't. But it had European football as well. So it was a great opportunity for myself to go and test myself at a higher level and potentially play European football. I mean, anyone would be stupid to turn that down. They really would be. But, 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 yes, but after growing up at Norwich and I'm sure making friends and, and, and obviously family friends and you've said there that your mum, she like fell in love with the club, you know, that was her boys club. And then... I, I just want to understand what was what was going through your with respect. What was going through your head when you thought, "No, you know what? It's uh, you know I'll crack on and I'll go to Ipswich." Because was there not any thought of you know what? I just can't. I just can't go to Ipswich. Or did, was it honestly just a, a very matter of fact? They're playing UEFA Cup football and they give me more money. It becomes very matter of fact. It's a cutthroat industry, Chris, and this is the harsh reality of football. Um, at the end of it, you're paid to do a job and you want to do that job at the highest level you can possibly do it. And it's a real cutthroat industry. Nobody cares about Andy Marshall, the footballer that was. Nobody cares about me. Not, not, not now. They don't. Not in football terms. And they don't. I'm now a coach. OK, and, and that's my next step. And I, and I, and I express this to, to the people that I work with. We work in the best industry in the world. It yeah. is the best industry. But it is the most ruthless and cutthroat industry in the world. And it is. And the reason why it is, is because it builds you up to something that will then chop it away from you within a second. And your lifestyle, your livelihood, everything that goes with it can be gone very, very quickly. So you have to be very cutthroat as a human mm. being to understand what your priorities in life are. And your priorities will always be first, second, and third, my family. And it always will be. Of course. And... The love that I have for what I do is second to none. And I'm very, very lucky with what I do. Mm. I'm very lucky in the industry that I work with, in the people that I work with. But 
I'm not also naive enough to understand and not realize how ruthless this industry is yeah. because it is. And I've seen many, many better people than me in football as in yeah. the careers that they have get brushed aside out of this job. Did you did no, and I respect that, mate. Did did you was there also an element of Greeno's over your shoulder? And was there a thought in your head of actually I might lose my spot? No, no, not 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 at all. I didn't I didn't think of it that way. Um when when Robert was there, um again, the similar the similar scenario that I had with Brian, I then became the mentor to to Robert to a certain yeah. extent. Um and I enjoyed taking that mantle on. And the club were offering Robert, uh, and it's maybe wrong for me to talk about Robert's contractual situation, but they offered him a new contract when I was still there. And he wasn't going to sign it because he wasn't sure what was going on with me. And he wanted to go to the next step and start playing. Wow. So I actually told Greeny when I knew that I wasn't going to be staying, that I was going to be moving on and he should sign the contract. Wow. So I made it very clear to Robert. And, and you know, that that whatever goes on beyond that is 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 with Robert. But I, I I had that relationship with him that I wanted to make it clear for the right of his career that I would be moving on. And fair play because Greeno's stayed at Norwich and was extremely extremely successful. Did you realise just how badly? that move would because because i'm going to positively challenge you here andy you said no one cares about andy marshall i would disagree with that i think that norwich fans care immensely about people that have represented the, their club but most importantly they care immensely about players that have won the player of the season you know yeah. that they're, they're, they're legends and so did you realize that you were going to burn the bridge and, and you because i i love your attitude by the way and i respect it you prioritize your family you cut through you make a decision to play at the highest level whilst you've got it i get that but you there's got to be a, a little seed of doubt in your mind of emotion of thought oh my god i'm i'm about to literally have twenty six thousand people after me with pitchforks yeah i think you've got you've got to view it this way okay i spent 17 years building a career at a club that i loved that gave me a lot and I gave them everything yeah. and I was going to burn them bridges. So to answer your question, I think I've just answered it there, that literally all them 17 years could have gone to waste. So I was perfectly aware that I was going to be seen as the ogre and I was going to be seen as the Judas, as they called me at the time. But at the end of it, I will always prioritise my family and I wanted mm. to try and extend my career to a higher level. And that was the right thing for me to do. No, I love it. And I love that you're getting heated. And uh, this is actually making me feel slightly uncomfortable. I knew it would. Um, Andy, but you know, honestly now, and I'm, and I'm going to maybe going to get you in trouble with the Ipswich fans. If there was another club at that level, because like, don't you, do you regret leaving Norwich to go to Ipswich? Like there's, there's not a single regret. It's okay. So when I made the move, I mentioned earlier about how Ipswich was set up with the staff and everything like that. Uh, uh, what fans might not have realised was mm -hmm. the, the goalkeeping coach at Ipswich was actually half, -time, half the time working at Norwich. Um, he was wow. half, half the time working at Norwich, half the time working at Ipswich. Inside information, huh? So <laughs> um, this was back in the day when you were, no clubs had full-time goalkeeper coaches. Wow. So... Yeah, it sounds bizarre. I yeah. went from the era where Brian was playing and I was the number two of no goalkeeper coaches. And this was like the transition period. 
between um, the period where myself and Robert Green were coming through. And the gentleman worked half the time at Norwich, two days a week, and two days a week at, at Ipswich. And at the same time I was going, made, well, was given the offer to go to Ipswich, he was then going full time to Ipswich Town. So this is a man who really sort of kicked my career on and, and made me understand goalkeeping and made me understand football. And he was the one where, if you were to actually um, analyse my, my career through them three or four years, I was working with him the whole time, well, two days a week. And that's where my career really escalated and really took off. Mm. So I saw that as the opportunity to go there and really kick myself on and go to the next level, working with him at a Premier League football club. No, I, I appreciate your honesty. And I must admit, as I said, I'm a bit hot under the collar. It's, it's slightly uncomfortable, but I, I feel like I need to challenge you for all of the Norwich fans that, that are still angry. And one of the things that I'm angry, I wasn't there as a fan at that time, but I know a lot of people that were, and they're furious about this to this day, Andy. You come back to Norwich <laughs> as the Ipswich goalkeeper. That, that was back in the day when, when they actually beat us a couple of times, which is a miracle. Um, but you celebrated, and you didn't just celebrate. You went berserk. Explain that day, and what was, again, what was going through your head? Was it like you wanted to prove a point because of all of the haters? What was it? Okay, so it was 18 months of stick, hatred, whatever that I've received. Um you know, there was a lot made of me going back to the football club, how it was going to be. Um, I remember from the moment that the coach arrived at the, at the stadium, um, Joe, Royal, Joe Royal was the manager. And there was thousands of fans there and they were baying for blood. And they were. And, you know, and, and Joe stood up and we were all there. No one could believe how many fans were outside. They were, they were going mad. And Joe just stood up and looked around at me and went, Marsh, they're not here for the rest of us. Go on, off you go. So, you know, there was a line of police there to take us out and take me to the stadium. And then when I've gone out to warm up, you know, the, um, the, 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 the area behind the goal, the stand and everything, it was, it was full. It was full of fans. And this is an hour before kickoff. And that never happens to watch the goalie warm up. And every single ball I was catching, kicking, it was, you know, the boos, the chance, the everything. So I'd taken a lot of stick and I hadn't said a word. Um, and I let my football do the talking. And then to win the game, it was, a, it was a release. It was a release. And it wasn't aimed at the, at the Norwich fans. It was a release for me to go, yes, see, I proved it. So, um, yeah, that's what it was. And it was as simple as that, Chris. It's, it's just, no, 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 and I appreciate that again. And, and it, it, it must have just been such a... Just a crazy, hot-headed, like few hours in your life, and you say like, obviously Norwich fans giving you stick. You know, if I, I if I was there, I would have been giving you stick. Um, because if you go to Ipswich, for for me, it's over. It's the same with Paul Lambert, right? But I appreciate your honesty. I really do. I really respect that. Um, but we'll see in the comments if other people still feel the same way. Andy, when you look back at your career, what is the moment that you go? You know what? That is the proudest moment. Um, or I've, single. Or I've, I've, been, I've, I've been I've been fortunate, Chris, that I played in quite a few big games. Um, and this might sound a little bit silly, but 
I was fortunate I played in the FA Cup final and at the time I thought that was one of the biggest things you can ever achieve and it was one of the biggest dreams that I ever wanted to achieve. But I'm actually going to, I'm going to take myself out of my football career and I'm going to go into my coaching one because I, one of my biggest achievements and I felt so proud was our goalkeeper at the time was Dylan Phillips and Dylan at Charlton um, was a long, long way from where he needed to be. And I spent 12 months working on this young lad and developing him. And he played in the playoff final after saving a penalty in the semi-final against Doncaster. And he made the biggest rick you could ever make in the playoff final, which put us 1-0 down. And to see what he'd gone through for the whole season after playing, being dropped, getting back in the side, working, working, working. And all these elements that he'd been working on all season that I'd been working with him and trying to explain what was going to happen if you didn't do X, Y, and Z. They all came to fruition in this one game where he made this drastic mistake with that similar sort of situation that we'd worked on in training. And how he came back, he made a great save 10 minutes later and it turned the game and we got back into the game and we won it with six seconds to go. And the jubilation of seeing that, it was very emotional for myself. Yeah. And I know it had a big impact on him and his family and you know, I've, I've, I've very, I mean, a lot of contact with, with him and his family still, even though he's moved on to Cardiff, because it's propelled his career and gave him a platform. Mm. Um, and then to see him get player of the season last season for us, um, for me, as much as I love my career and you, you can never beat playing, that felt like his biggest single achievement because it was almost something that I could do for my son because I almost nurtured him as my son. Wow, that's a big statement because you played for some big clubs. Some big yeah. clubs signed for some big clubs, you know, um, and that and that is massive. And, and actually, that that leads me nicely on to to the next one, um, Andy, which is in in 2014 when you when you obviously hung your gloves up, um, that that was it. Um, it, it I, I can already get the impression from you that you were just so ready to go into coaching. Was that the case? And and how is it going at Charlton? Because it, it seems like you're just absolutely loving that role as a coach. So. Um, I was very fortunate that when I moved to Aston Villa and, and I was doing, um, still playing, I played there for four years. But in that time, I was starting to take on coaching roles within the 23s and the academy. Um, so it was actually, ironically, Paul Lambert released me as a player. Um, <laughs> who's now at Ipswich. No, I, told you, uh, I told you about Paul Lambert, mate. Yeah, but Chris, here you go. Here's the cherry in the top. Then six months later, he brings me back as goalkeeper coach. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, so it was him who gave me my first opportunity in coaching. Um, but I'd already had the platform and the, and the bedding for it. And I spent another three years though at, at Villa and it gave me a real insight on how a proper professional football club needs to be be run as a coach. Um, because, you know, at the other clubs I've been at, I'd only ever been a player. So you straight away, you're starting at one of the highest clubs as, as a coach. And it, it was phenomenal. And it really gave me that that footing for... I left Aston Villa and I had six months out. And when when Lee Bowyer called me, um, who I knew from, from years ago, it really set me in good stead to kick on and take everything that I'd learned from what would be, at the time, a top Premier League football side and Cat One Football Club in the academy and help start to implement them things into Charlton. Um, and I came into a club, I'll be honest with you, that was a mess. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, and it was a mess. And Lee was coming in and Lee knew it was a mess, 
we had ownership issues and the owner was stopping investing and yeah. I'll be honest with you there was myself Lee Bowyer Johnny Jackson and Steve Gallon um and it was us that was basically running the football club from wow. top to bottom wow um there was some really good people there but were given no direction no one was able mm. to do anything and so you know that season we galvanized a, a team we created a team the recruitment was fantastic by Steve Gallon and you know we were able to get the football club promoted against all odds and it was against all odds and the irony is that we got promoted to the championship and the owner actually cut our budget um because he was trying to sell the football club and yeah. so we had a lesser budget within the championship we were losing staff and just before christmas we were sitting second in the table in the championship injuries took its toll and the inevitable happened and we ended up getting relegated so um but to answer your question it, it, i'm loving it. i'm absolutely loving it i'm working with a manager um who's who's very knowledgeable he's got an exceptional um knowledge of the game and understanding of it we've now got a new owner here who's financially backing the football club and rebuilding the football club and we're getting staffing and this is a club that can go places it really can do and i i do and i had this conversation not so long ago um it is a very very similar football club to norwich it really is very similar the, the similar size of the stature of the club how it's it's run how it's how it should be run should be run how norwich is run it's a very very similar club that must be why you love it so much andy because it's like norwich and 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 i'm now going to ask you something and i want you to be honest what do you I think, think i've been that chris yeah you absolutely have mate and, I'll, and i'm going to keep reeling out of you looking at the two obvious clubs that we're going to talk about here norwich and Ipswich. What what has gone so wrong at Ipswich over the last few seasons for them to be where they are and for us to have managed to get to the Prem because Ipswich have just fallen apart and and it for you is there a dilemma of like because obviously you clearly still love Norwich it still clearly holds a place in your heart still but you played for Ipswich and what do you think's happened there between the two clubs because Ipswich when you moved to them that was like their heyday like that was the big time and now what like what's happened. I think, I think it, it, it's maybe slightly wrong of me to to speak about the ownership issues within within Ipswich, but I can definitely talk about them at Norwich. And you look at how the structure of the football club was done, and when Delia and Michael Wynne Jones came in, um, the passion they got for the football club of trying to do the right things. But I remember the time at Norwich where the gates were down, the football club wasn't a bad place, and they brought in the right people. They rebuilt the football club. They got the fans in. The mm. biggest things were doing the kid for a quid thing, looking for the future. And I remember that clearly. And all them kids that were coming for a quid. And I remember the stadium being practically full, but half of them being young kids. <laughs> well, they're now full-time hard and Norwich yeah. supporters. Yeah. And now you're getting 27, 28,000 fans every week, whatever league you're in. If you went down to League One, I, I bet you'd bloody be the same as well. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, and I, and I, I look at the Ipswich situation and... David Sheepshanks, when I was there, uh, again, a very passionate man and, and loved Ipswich Town. Um, but when David left and, and Marcus Evans has come in, I'm not sure you've got that same connection, the way that David was and the way that um, Delia and Michael Wynne-Jones are. I might, again, I don't know Marcus Evans, so I might be talking out of turn here. But from the outside, that's how I view it. 
and I look at the infrastructure that Norwich has been been doing and Ipswich were doing, and they were both very, very similar. Mm. But when Ipswich dropped out of the Premier League, the investment that they had into the players financially was too much. Mm. And they were never able to recoup that. So they were always chasing their tails. Norwich, whatever league they will probably go into, will always financially be in a stable position. So it seems Ipswich are going to be chasing their tails for many years to come um, without huge investment into the football club. Um, where I look at Norwich and they seem to have a model and it's a model that works. And I'm, at the moment, I'm not sure what, what Ipswich's model is. Yeah, no, and no, that that's completely fair. And I think you're right in saying that. I think it's it's obvious that, that Marcus Evans doesn't care. And I think there's uh, and it's very admirable of you to 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 praise Dealey. I think you're totally, totally bang on the money the money there, Andy. I really do. Right. Um we're coming to the end now. There are thousands of Norwich fans watching and listening to this. Do you have a message for them at all? No, listen, I, I, I... If we're coming to the end, I, I, I want to say this. I, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly love my time at Norwich. And, you know, the support that I had from the football club. And uh, I've got to say this. When I went back two years ago for the uh, Inter Milan game, the charity still game, They still booed you. <laughs> they still booed me when I went on. But I, w- I will say this. At the end of it, they are actually admiring it. I don't know if admiring is the right word. But they clapped me. Okay? Yeah. And they didn't boo me at the end. And I think there was an element of fair dues. You've come back, you've, you've taken back. it, and and, I, and, I, and it's the only time I've ever come back to the football club. And I, you know, I'd, I'd only do it for a charity, and that was the reason why. And the time I had at the club, I thoroughly enjoyed, and I think every single game, I think you know, one thing you'll say about me, I gave everything on every game, whether my performances were good, bad, or indifferent. I gave everything, and if there was a mistake, it was an honest mistake. Um, but I want to thank the fans for the, for the time that I had there. And I want to thank them for the grief that they've given me every time we've gone back. And I can't wait to the time that I can go back there as, as a Premier League coach playing a Premier League game against Norwich City because that will be something I really enjoy. Hopefully, so, hopefully you don't come on the pitch and go crazy and celebrate again. I <laughs> will <laughs> definitely be doing that if we win. Andy, thank you so much for coming on. That's it. And thank you so much to everyone that's watching and listening to this right now around the world. We really, really appreciate the support. If you've enjoyed this today, give us give it a thumbs up on YouTube. Give it a like, share on Facebook, retweet on Twitter, comment, whatever. That's great. Make sure you give us a tweet as well if you've enjoyed it. We're always interested in taking on board your feedback. Andy, there is only one thing left to say. What is that? On the ball, see? Yes, <laughs> I've completed it. Cheers, Andy. <laughs>